the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. March 4th, 2021. Now that our governor and other states are opening up and indeed demanding our public schools return to in-person learning, it's now well time to think about something that for many has been the unthinkable the purpose and value of most public education. For just about a year now, many of us have decried the school closings in the name of COVID, saying how important in-classroom settings were for the vast majority of our children, our students. About 90% of our nation's elementary and secondary school children attend public schools. A bit less than 3% of our students are homeschooled. Charters constitute about 5% of our students. But there are a few truths that must inhere about education and in classroom settings as well. Closing our schools has, of course, led to academic deficits, and we will be paying that price for some time to come, dramatically and immediately altering our children's daily and social and educational lives has led to an increase in social, mental, and emotional damage of our children. And the absence of clubs, athletics, and after-school programs has made all of the foregoing even worse. Recent data has revealed what many of us predicted a year ago. Mental health claims essentially doubled as a percentage of all medical claims for individuals aged 13 to 18 in 2020 compared with the same periods last the year before. Claims for overdose among teens rose 95% in March and 119% in April last year versus those months in 2019. And substance use increased 65 and 63% respectively over the year before. Other social pathologies of our youth that increased included anxiety and depressive disorders. Much of this was predicted and ignored. As we wrote in April of last year and were mocked for writing, the closings have caused and will cause even more social damage for a great many of these children and their parents than the coronavirus ever would. All to protect children from a disease that will not directly affect them. The standard argument that social policy is often deployed or changed to protect our children has been turned on its head. Adults have engaged in some of the most dramatic social policy change in our history for something that will not harm children, while their solutions will. Their educational deficits may be the least of it. Schools and after-school programs and sports, after all, not just the center of our children's educational and social lives, they are often the place and sometimes the only place where many children receive nutritional meals, have strong adult presences, and are safe from harmful drugs and adults. For those children who are in functional homes, parents already taxed from work and other coronavirus policy stresses are taking on added responsibilities and work. This radical decision to have closed the schools won't end well for too many children and adults. But in these closings, while student learning suffered, parental learning was awakened to much of what the public and some private education industry was up to, and they did not like these adults, did not like what they learned. First, they realized what a lot of homeschooling parents realized 
years ago. Much of the public school curriculum ranges from not very good to terrible, and often terribly undermining of education's basic mission and what most parents expect of their schools. The nurture and enhancement of the wit of and character of children in one former education school dean's framing of it. Second, they realized that too many in the professional educational establishment, especially at the teacher union level, did not see the education of children as a priority, but rather their own interests, which were ironically at odds with parental and children interests. What does an advocate of returning children to in-person learning say about schools that adopt such academic lesson plans as the 1619 Project, rife as it is with a rewriting of our nation's history with highly questionable and indeed poor renderings of actual history? What does an advocate of returning children to in-person learning say about schools that adopt various BLM curriculums, such as in Ames, Iowa, to take but one example, where the school district is deploying a 13-point curriculum for its students. Among those 13 points, quote, we are committed to dismantling the patriarchal practice that requires mothers to work double shifts, that require them to mother in private, even as they participate in justice work. Black villages, we are committed to disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended family and villages that collectively care for one another and are especially our children to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable while being unapologetically black in our positioning. That is to say, in affirming that black lives matter, we need not qualify our position. Close quote. As Inez Felcher-Stepman has written, the largest national teachers' union has given its official stamp of approval to Black Lives Matter and to indoctrinating teachers with the concept of white fragility and its supposed cause, white supremacy culture. As part of professional development, the same national union runs a division solely dedicated to advancing Black Lives Matter and encouraging identity politics in schools. The National Education Association also officially failed to pass a resolution pledging to rededicate the union to the pursuit of increased student learning, ostensibly its purpose for existence. Out of the 100 largest school districts, precisely none have the words America or patriotism in their mission statements. This fact is even more shocking when one considers the public school system was originally created to teach American citizens how to preserve the republic. They had been bequeathed. Noah Webster, one of the country's earliest textbook publishers and education advocates, wrote of a future American public school system, quote, begin with the infant in the cradle, let the first word he lisps be Washington, close quote. Now the public school system teaches students to view the indispensable man Washington as Foremost and first, unforgivably, a slaveholder. As Clint Bullock points out in his recent book on education reform, one recent poll has shown that less than one-third of Americans believe the public schools are highly performing on the goals they consider most important, instilling citizenship, protecting students from violence and physical harm, and preparing students to enter the workforce, to understand America, and its history, to think critically, to vote, to be curious, to respect America, and to compete globally. What to do? Most of us want our schools back open and our children in them, but not if they are being failed in the basic purposes and expectations of education, not for indoctrination in left-wing and progressive pedagogy and curriculum. Now, more than ever, we arrive at a point where true education reform has not only become necessary but desired, 
In the past, it was necessary. Now, after a year of witnessing the true nature of our nation's educational depredations, more and more eyes have been opened to the necessity, the necessary part. Of course, not every family can homeschool, given the demand of work and time on too many families. But those that can or that can engage in learning pods will increase and should. School choice, after too long a period of being absent from our national debate, will return and in expanded areas from open enrollment and charters to private education and, of course, enhancing and supporting homeschooling. New and expanded tax credit scholarship programs and education savings accounts providing parents the financial wherewithal for greater educational options should be taken up by every state legislature and demanded by voters in their state and legislative elections. Few ideas will help strap public education dollars to the backpacks of children better than these concepts that embrace the best of historical education philanthropy as well as common sense. But it must be kept in mind, choice is only a means to an end, not an end unto itself. In some places it will prove meager, in others some private and even charter schools are as bad or worse than the assigned and traditional public school. It's true. Choice, it turns out, is close to meaningless if there is no great choice available, which is to say truly available options and curricula that embrace great content and schools that help develop good character in our pupils. We have a lot of problems in American education, and for the $800 billion Americans spend on elementary and secondary education, we should have the equivalent quality in American education that we have in American military force, readiness, and quality for about the same expense. We don't. Nothing close. And it turns out keeping our schools closed for the past year may have been the least of the problems, at least when it comes to teaching and learning. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you're a college basketball fan, the NCAA tournament, March Madness, is your favorite time of year. Game-winning buzzer-beating shots, Cinderella programs, knocking off dynasty programs. March Madness is known for drama and inspiration. In recent years, one of the little-known inspiring March Madness stories was the rise of UConn's basketball program under Hall of Fame coach Jim Calhoun. Born to Lead is the newest film on Salem Now, showcasing Jim Calhoun's and UConn's story from losing his father at a young age, instantaneously becoming the man of his family as a teenager, to his rise to the coaching ranks and eventually leading UConn to three NCAA championships. Born to Lead features interviews with Mike Krzyzewski, Jim Beheim, former UConn and NBA superstars Richard, Richard Hamilton and Ray Allen. Get ready for March Madness by watching Born to Lead, now available at SalemNow.com. That's Born to Lead at SalemNow.com. Make sure to use the promo code PHOENIX for additional savings. Jan is in Mesa. Hello, Jan. Hi. Um, I'm an alum of ASU, and I just received a um, like a newsletter, and it talks about the instructional framework aims to build excellence in civics, history, education for K-12 through students. And so when you go to this website, um, it has um, where they are recommending K-12 through educators 
click on this website, Roadmap to Educating for American Democracy in collaboration with Harvard and Tufts University. And when you click on that website, it is um, you know, very interesting to see the different uh, curriculums that they are suggesting for our K-12 students. And I just thought... I yeah, what is the website? Do you have it handy? I, I do. Um, when you click on the live link, it says educatingforamericandemocracy.org backslash the roadmap backslash. Okay. I'm going there presently. And uh, I would like to look through it. What what stood out to you? I haven't seen this, by the way. So thank you for bringing it to our attention. But what 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 stood out mostly to you there? Well, I actually received this on March second, mm-hmm. and it was just like I get the newsletters because I'm an alumni. Mm-hmm. And um, when I looked at this curriculum, I was just a little concerned because it seems to be promoting more like the Black Lives Matter agenda, and um. The 1619 project. Does it really? Like Does it really? Oh yeah. My gosh. And so I was just a little concerned. Yeah, I would be too. And um, this is a website that ASU is partnering with to help teachers teach civics, evidently, right? Um, yes. And it is for K-12 uh-huh. civics. And it's called... Roadmap to Transform K-12 Civics. Oh, that's great. Yeah, the seven themes and five designs, right? Yes. Okay, well, I'm going to take a look at it uh, for sure, and uh, I really appreciate you bringing it to our attention, Jan. Uh, are you in teaching or education yourself? Um, No, I'm not, but I have children in the school system. Sure, 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 sure. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I'm going to spend some time with this one. I appreciate it very and much. And if you'd like me to email yeah. the um, ASU newsletter. Yeah, yeah. Email. Would you do that, please? That yeah, I, w- I would like that very much. Would you do that? Uh-huh. And uh, the best way to do that, my email is, um, it's right available at 960thepatriot.com. If you go to my webpage there on the website of our radio station, okay. it'll have an email link for me. Okay. Yeah. I'd give uh-huh. it out over the air. It's just easier to do it that way. I I don't hide it. It's just it's just a lot easier to go that way than for me to say it on air and have everyone write it down. Okay. All right. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, Jan. I appreciate it. See, this is what I'm talking about. People getting more and more interested in things having to do with the education of our pupils that have been going on for years and years and years and people just kind of assumed everything was okay. And everything was not okay. And it was getting worse. And it came to a head maybe this past year with all these new radical curricula. And it's too bad because you'd like to be able to just, you know, wake up and go to bed and do your work and send your kids off to school thinking everything is okay. And um, you end up surprised realizing that your kids are being taught that They're racist as early as three months old. Your kids are being taught that the nuclear family needs to be destroyed, dismantled. Wake up, realize your kids are being taught that our country wasn't founded in 1776, but some date you'd never studied before in your life or heard of, before America was even calling itself a country. You wake up and find out that men can 
compete against women in what is considered women's sports. You wake up finding out a whole lot of things you just took for granted and that you can no longer take for granted. That's the point. That's the real point. you got to get involved now, and I am so glad people are getting involved. Perhaps even bigger news than Texas, Alex Berenson says, Connecticut is lifting all capacity limits on restaurants, retail, libraries, personal devices, indoor recreation, gyms, museums, offices, and houses of worship. Maybe they'll be called Neanderthal as well. Great. I guess Alex means this is even bigger than Texas because one thinks of Connecticut as a blue state. Isn't it an interesting thing we think of blue and red in terms of mediation efforts to contain a virus? Who knew such a thing could could become so politicized? Well... When you think about the authoritarian personality and where that resides, is that a red thing or is that a blue thing? That's obviously a blue thing. You get the picture. When you look at the data and realize your mediation efforts have put your state in as much COVID stead as states that didn't engage in the mediation efforts you engaged in, and you realize all you ended up doing was creating more misery for your citizens, you, um, you quickly realize that uh, you're going to be called names, but you're the ones actually following the science that we're told to follow. It's just not the science. It's just not the political science that the left wanted you to follow. So uh, my friend Steve, who's bumper-worthy, wanted that song. That's the one song he gets. And I didn't know that was a Bob Dylan song. I thought it was a Rod Stewart song. Rod Stewart covered it later. But my my friend Steve says it's the most conservative rock song ever. Okay, so I'm curious if it is, if anyone has a better or other nomination What's the most conservative rock song? Now, immediately, Steve will concede, and I have to, prescind country music. That would blow it away. Second, is it fair to call, is it fair to call Bob Dylan a rock musician? Maybe. Maybe. It's not clear to me. I'll take instruction. John is in Phoenix. Hello, John. Hi, Seth. How are you doing? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? Good, good. My call actually has more to do with your bumper music that you played initially than it does with your monologue. But That's it, it fine. Into the monologue. It's all the same thing. <laughs> it's all related. Yeah. yeah. It is. It is. It is. And, if it's un- and, and if it's not immediately appreciated, every day by 555, you'll see how that happens. But it's all related. So what was what was Money Talks? How did that tie into your monologue? Oh, that song doesn't. That I just I just always thought 
the image of ACDC and uh, Angus jumping across the stage there, it just makes me happy. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we always play that song at the end of every monologue. That's every monologue. That's every day. I can can tie that in to your monologue. Okay. All right? Yes, sir. Let me give it a shot here. Okay. So I'm standing in a subway getting lunch today, and directly in front of me is a Starbucks barista. Okay. And she has her Starbucks polo shirt on. Yeah. Starbucks, you know, in two or three places on her shirt, along with Black Lives Matter. Okay. Starbucks, I know I know that they're a left-wing organization and they support uh, left-wing causes. I did not know that they were that obviously in support of Black Lives Matter. Um, so so so, so if I understand you correctly, it's not that she also had a Black Lives Matter insignia on; it's that it was part and parcel of the Starbucks uh, regalia. Yeah. Got it. Incorporated right onto her Starbucks shirt. It wasn't a patch that she added. It was a Starbucks shirt mm-hmm. that had Black Lives Matter all over it. It had the raised uh, socialist fist on there mm-hmm. that they use the uh, Marxist fist protest. I think it's more companies slogan. than you realize. Honestly, I do. I do. Yeah. I, I'm looking at a list right now that doesn't even have Starbucks on it. To your point, you didn't realize Starbucks was one of them. But everyone from uh, Microsoft to um, to Uber to Airbnb to DoorDash uh, are companies that have uh, not only um, embraced it but donated money uh, to 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 the to the to the movement. Um, I, I'm not surprised. I'm just not surprised. It's very easy. It was very easy last year for a company to be asked to give money and support of Black Lives Matter. Very hard for a company to say no because you would be shamed. Same well, with, you know, I, all kinds of museums and nonprofits. Go ahead, John. Sorry. I, w- I would like to put it out there for conservatives to just Stop going to Starbucks and paying big money for overpriced swill, if you will. I don't care for it. Now, I realize that's a personal judgment. A lot of people really like it. Uh, they've got a lot of designer drinks and whatnot. But to me, McDonald's is every bit as good as Starbucks. I agree with you, and I think Dutch Brothers is as well. Um, yeah. I, uh, well, we're starting I, big arguments here. You know that, right? <laughs> Do we have more to argue about? I'll hold you over if we do. So far, we're in fierce Uh, agreement. Well, I just, I would like to promote that conservatives never go to Starbucks. Tie it in. The the product of poor education is Black Lives Matter supporters. I'm with you on that, John. I don't go to Starbucks anymore. I don't buy Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And I'm not going to support hotels that ban Republican gatherings. I think we're. I think I, I thought. That. Look, we we conservatives have a lot to you know have a lot of buying power, and I I'm with you. I'm with you. You know, they sh- they can shut us down with marches, but maybe we can shut them down with purchasing power. I'm with you. I'm with you.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Balance of Nature, my favorite product I've ever taken or endorsed. You get tens of thousands of vital nutrients from one daily dose of these wonderful little gelatin vegetarian capsules, not gelatin, vegetarian capsules uh, that they reduce apples and cherries and mangoes and pepper and spinach and kale into. And if you don't like swallowing the vegetarian capsules, uh, they're easily made to just pop off and open up into something you could sprinkle so you can sprinkle it on water or drink. All natural vine ripened fruits and veggies picked at their peak of ripeness to boost your health and your immunity. No sugar, no chemicals, no GMOs. It's kept me well for over a year. As I say, I take it every single day. Haven't been sick since I've been taken. It usually gets sick a couple few times a year. Haven't been and I attribute it to the tens of thousands of vital nutrients of balance of nature. They're offering free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Balance of nature, good and good for you. Good for you because of the nutrients, good because you're supporting those who support conservative talk radio. Hal is in Prescott. Hi, Doc. Hey, Seth. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, of Appreciate course. It. Thank you for everything. How you been? Oh, I'm well. I'm well. And yourself? Doing yeah, well? doing just fine. Doing just fine. I had a Thank great you. run this morning in wonderful weather. Doing yeah, just this fine. It's a great place to live. Yeah, it is. Um, I want to briefly comment on the uh, the school issue, education issue. Please. Uh, the ASU newsletter and all these types of things. You know, I think the I'm, I'm wondering if people really need to pay attention and talk to their kids about what school was like before the close in huh. terms of, you know, all this uh, Black Lives Matter wow. indoctrination, wow. racist stuff, and as opposed to what's going to happen when they open. Because yep. I'm wondering if it's going to be like new Coke. Mm-hmm. You know, we bring out the new Coke and have this big thing, this hullabaloo, and distract everyone, and then we've made, you know, done what we really need to do in the background yep. to uh, retool everything. Yep. And I, I wonder if... That's what part of this is, and we're all going to be so thrilled to go back to school that you know we won't care if it's, we won't care you know, how crappy you know, the mouth. curriculum is. Exactly right, right. We're just yeah. glad to get yeah. the kids back in their seats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if and if this and if this extended closure is nothing more than a closure, then you know it's made it clear who the schools are run for. Yep, they are run for the adults that employ them. Yep. Not for the good of society. That's right. Which so so it's, so what we have now is a system that is much more expensive than it needs to be. Totally ideologically biased, and um, and also uh, not run for the good of society. You pay the bills. You're not getting what you want. No. So uh, parents need to get in there and uh, you know start asking a lot of questions. Pay close attention. Talk to your kids about before and after this close down, and uh, get on the school board. Uh, and, uh, you know, start firing some of these people. All of these things critically important. Yeah, the new Coke, uh, original Coke, that's kind of an interesting interesting analogy. As I understand it, by the way, I don't think even once they went back to original Coke, it was the same thing. If I'm not mistaken, I think they replaced the sugar with corn syrup. I Uh, think I'm right about that. If I recall correctly, that was it, and it's simply because corn syrup is much less expensive. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so perhaps the analogy would be the even thinner gruel <laughs> after the shutdown that people would be getting in school. Even thinner gruel, except there's a toxicity to it as well. 
right? It's thin and it's toxic at the same time. It's just not what you should expect for what we put into, my gosh, for what we put into um, into education. Close to $900 billion a year in this country, countrywide. We all, all spending in K-12 through education amounts to about $900 billion a year. Now, you think about what we spend on our national defense. It's a little less. It's a little mm-hmm. less. And we think of our military as the most ready, able, and highly trained and skilled military in the world. You, well, can you say that about our, our, our education system? I can't. No, no international no, think, test can. I think what you can say is what is the purpose of it? Exactly. Is the purpose of it now to produce citizens of a republic? Right who are able to go out and do any job because they've also collected skills while learning how to be citizens of a republic? Or is the the educational industrial complex, which is serving its own interest uh, and the interest of the left, trying to produce something other than the citizen, uh, what what we need in terms of citizens of a republic? Yes. In terms of the education they should have. Yes. And uh, if if you're bringing in, for example, like, like the 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 caller about the the, the newsletter I don't, I don't recall her name but you know oh Jan I think it was yeah, yeah yeah if if what Jan is describing what ASU you know which produces a lot of teachers and uh, and generally the the uh, colleges of education have been kind of twisted uh, you know and and the Department of Education is going to be used by this administration to railroad this stuff into the curriculum everywhere. You know, if if they do that, you're going to get something in an educational process and purpose and curriculum mm-hmm. that is radically different from what you need. You cannot have massive racial division. You know, and the the L.A. school district uh, union boss was recently on television mm-hmm. and, and was basically castigating some people for speaking too much yep. about what's going on because they were white. Yep. And, and it's just, this person is a racist. Uh-huh. This person is in a position of authority and power, and she is talking about people because of their race, not addressing the issue that they are concerned about, which is that education is not happening. And so it's funny, you know, if you stood up and spoke at a school meeting, Hal, I'm I'm guessing, you know, you, you you wouldn't care less about, you know, what what anyone arguing or siding with you's race was. You would just address the issues because you're focused on the issues and that's what you care about. This person you're describing didn't care about the issues. They cared about race. That is, ipso facto, by definition, makes them a racist. Yeah, and if, and if anybody can think back 20 years ago to any public gathering they were at. Yep. And if, and if a person stood up and said, so-and-so purple person over there... Mm-hmm shouldn't speak because they're purple, mm-hmm. we would all think that they were out of their mind. Yes, yes. Now they're running things. Yes, exactly. And so, you know, so th- so this, you know, th- this person, th- th- it's, it's still shocking to see someone in a position of authority speak that It's way. shocking to see, and yet, in the back of our minds, we kind of know it's going to be that way for a while. Right. You know? Right. And how sad and, is that? How sad is that? Does it ever make you feel like a... Well, I was going to say a Neanderthal, but that term has been taken. But does it ever make you feel like you're just so out of step? I, I, I get, I get that it might. I get no, no might. actually, you know, my opinion of this is that they're out of step. Oh, good. Maintain because if that. If you want to have civilization, 
You cannot divide people by race Maintain in, a, in a society where you have every race you can imagine. God bless you. Is that a bloodhound? Uh, that is the, that's the uh, dinner is in three hours alarm. Yeah, I get those too. <laughs> I get those too. <laughs> and, and we need to go for a walk. Sometimes my girlfriend gets brush. those noises from me <laughs> when dinner is three hours away. Yes, I get it. I get it. All right, Hal. Thank you very much. Thanks, Seth. All right, bye. Do you guys know Michael Ramirez? He's a great conservative cartoonist. You can get his work either at his own website, michaelpramirez.com. You can get him at Issues and Insights. Forget cancel culture. I think it's a sham. I do not like it, Uncle Sam. I am ignoring achievements in the name of the woke and cause more division with the fires they stoke. Take history out of context is now the new game, not looking for justice, just someone to blame. Today it's a book, so watch what you do one day in the future. They may counsel you. That's his uh, most recent cartoon I, with a picture of the cat in the hat there. I uh, was happy to put it up on Twitter. If you don't follow me on Twitter, you can. At Seth Liebson is, um, is my Twitter handle. Uh, we're about to uh, be joined at the top of the next hour by uh, one of my favorite uh, public intellectuals, one of the great scholars, political scientists of our time. Uh, he was my teacher, too, and that's Charles Kessler. He is the um, editor of the Claremont Review of Books, professor of government at Claremont McKenna College. He has a brand new book out, which explains everything in our politics and our history. It's called Crisis of the Two Constitutions, The Rise, Decline, and Recovery of American Greatness. And um, it's fantastic. It, it, I, I could probably, if you're familiar with my monologues, you'll be familiar with a lot of the themes in uh, Professor Kessler's book. It's broken into three parts. Uh, this is just critical reading, folks. Three parts. First, the Founders' Constitution. And what it is, um, second, is the progressives' constitution and what it is, everything from, you know, the living constitution idea and the uh, progressive movement, the old and left and the new left. And then the third section is how we conservatives uh, should approach this battle of the two constitutions from culture and uh, politics to morality and thinking about presidencies. Uh, Charles Kessler is great, and that's his book, um, Crisis of the Two Constitutions, and he'll be with us at the top of the next hour. And uh, if we have time, he'll take your questions too, 602-508-0960. Don't go away. We'll be right back. <laughs> 